Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 27 of the Jetman with the Golden Gun, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Chojin Sentai Jetman. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, man, uh, on this beautiful, relaxing Saturday. Beautiful, uh, sunny Saturday afternoon. Chilling out. Looking forward to watching some Chojin Sentai Jetman. As well you should be today, yeah. Dave, because today we are watching episode 27, The Great Escape from Hell. I feel like there's a running theme of escaping from hell in Sentai series, because we've seen this now, if they are in fact escaping from hell, which who knows. But this will be, if they do, this will be the third time in two series that someone has escaped from hell. Let's see, Daigo escaped from hell. Daigo escapes hell. from hell. And Akamaru escapes from hell. Akamaru doesn't escape so much as is pulled up out of hell on a giant fishing line. Uh, an evil fishing line, Dave. An evil fishing line. But I think that counts. I mean, he does escape. That is a thing that happens. Sure, somebody springs him. Right, uh, right. Uh, but Dave, before we get into that, there's some business to take care of. Because first, shining in the heavens... There are five stars. And what, Dave, is our first star of the week? Our first star of the week, Matt, is that spring has sprung. Uh, It's beautiful. Like, we had a really mild winter, and I kept expecting winter to hit, and it never did. Not really. And I kept waiting and waiting. But now we're, like, halfway through March, and I think we're we're safe, man. We're clear at this point. Yeah, I mean, unless there's, like, a weird freak storm... Like, we are past the point where winter can really get bad, and yeah. now it's just, like, sunny in between 50s and 60s for the next week or so. Yeah. It's and, uh, it's going to be great. And... Daylight and, savings uh, time. Yeah, daylight savings time is tomorrow. I Okay, I'm going to admit, I have mixed feelings on daylight savings time. I know that there is, like, a strong, you know, like, there's a bunch of people who are like, daylight savings time is the worst. I love daylight savings time, particularly in the spring, because I love <laughs> that the sun was going down at six thirty, and now it's going down at seven thirty, and like all of a sudden, it's just sunnier that much later into the day, and it just man, it just opens like the whole evening time up for me. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. Because like I get home from work at like six ish, which means right. that you know pretty much since I've started this new job. When I have gotten home from work, it has been either dark or about to become dark. And yeah, now I actually have awful. like Yeah, and now I actually have like sunlight in the evening and I can go out and do things and it's going to be warm and we don't actually have jokes about this. I'm just super excited about I, the sunshine. <laughs> I hope our genuine enthusiasm and joy is enough to substitute for jokes on this matter. Dude, I remember okay, so I used to be a prep cook, right? Right. And uh, prep cooks get it to the restaurant super early in the morning, usually. And in the winter, when I would work, I would show up and it would be dark and I would work. And then when I left work, it was dark. Like I saw the sun for maybe like 10 minutes a day when I took a break to like grab a quick bite to eat. And it was cold outside and I just stood outside because it was the only time I was seeing the sun that day. Uh, that was a rough job, man. I mean, like I learned yeah. a lot, but it was kind of, <laughs> was kind of a rough job. Uh, so yeah, spring has sprung, daylight savings time, we're getting more sunshine, I'm super excited. I was actually, as I was walking out to my car this morning to run some quick errands, I was just, I was sunning. Like I just turned and, I had my eyes closed, and just turned my face directly to the sun and like took my jacket off to uh, just absorb as much sun, yeah, as much sun as possible. So, um, so it's great. That's all I got. I'm just really excited that the sunshine is out. Uh, what, Matt, is our second Star of the Week? So our second Star of the Week, Dave, is a card game, which is new to me. Okay. I thought it was new, but I think it's just that there's a new edition of it out. Um, and it is the Fantasy Flight card game uh, for the Game of Thrones. Yes. I don't know a ton about it. It had been out for a while, 
And they basically decided that, like, the game was just kind of, like, terminally messed up or something. And they just kind of scrapped everything and started over. And so it's sort of a new game, but not quite. And dudes, this game is super fun. We played it uh, last weekend at our buddy Josh's place. Uh, it was you and me and Josh and a uh, friend of the show, Bill. Because yeah, the man. great thing about this game is it's made by the same people. I, it's made by the same people who make uh, Android Netrunner, correct? Yeah, it is. Uh, but what's great yeah, about this game track is that you can play it one on one, but it's also got a mode where you can play like up to six people in like a grand melee, which is awesome. Uh, I ha- Okay, so I didn't play it one-on-one. I only got to play in the melee, and I just feel like it can't possibly be as fun to play it one-on-one. I feel like it's got to be way more fun to play it in melee. Is that accurate? Um, I'll tell you what. I, like, I thought that was going to be the case as well, but when we got into the one-on-one game, it's just as fun, but in a completely different way. Okay, well, right on. So um, basically, how this game works is that you take on one of the uh, the role of like the head of one of the great families from the Game of Thrones. And your goal, okay, like you play the Game of Thrones. Like the Game of Thrones game is just the Game of Thrones where you're all kind of maneuvering around each other using like martial power and like social intrigue power, but then also like straight up political power to maneuver and like kill your enemies and uh, do all sorts of stuff so that you eventually amass enough prestige and authority that you could declare yourself king uh, and then I presume you would just murder all your rivals I'm not totally sure I think that's how Game I of Thrones so. works I've never actually read the Game of Thrones books and so playing like playing the game was super fun but there was a bunch of weird flavor stuff in it that just completely went over my head I have watched, uh, I watched the first couple seasons of the show and then I kind of fell off of it because I only ever watched it on Amazon and like it didn't come out until like the whole thing was over and it's really weird and I didn't care about it anymore. Um, I I tried to get into it via the book on tape and there are some real uh, sketchy skeezy bits in those books, which I guess if you are (laughs) reading them, you can kind of like skim past, but if you're listening to someone like describe it out loud in detail, like I... Like it was, it was a rough lesson. I've got so to try to get maybe, into those books. So a maybe audio books, dear listener, uh, not the way to get into Game of Thrones. But the game was super, super fun. Listen, dude. Um, I know you have Android. You played it. You didn't really dig it. If you are into Game of Thrones, like I will pick up some sets so that we can play. Like I think that sounds super fun. But uh, we yeah, may have to uh, do that because that is a super fun game. We so as I said, uh, we all played like a big melee, and then Dave and Bill went home, and Josh and I stayed up until like three in the morning playing a one-on-one game. Hey, listeners, out of those four people, guess who's married and who isn't? <laughs> uh, listeners, you have guessed correctly. Um, <laughs> so, so, anyway, so I you ended and Josh up winning. Played. But the only reason I won is because I had this one card that was called Treachery. <laughs> that seems like a good card and to have just in Game of Thrones. Perfect, because like there was a linchpin moment, and like the only way that I could stop Josh from completely destroying me was like by pulling Treachery out of my hand. Like, <laughs> like base Treachery. And for the rest of the night, I was like, I love you, Treachery. You're my only friend. Yeah, uh, the Game of Thrones. So, like, when we were playing in this melee, I was very close to winning. Like, super close. Uh, And then I went from super close to winning to last place in one turn. That was a a rough turn for you, buddy. Yeah, that was real rough. Um, And I think that's just basically how Game of Thrones works. Like, you think you're winning, and then someone stabs you in the neck, and you just you die. So... Fun times with friends, guys. Fun times with friends. Uh, Dave, what is our third star of the week? So, Matt, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Here is our third star of the week. Uh, I was listening to NPR, as I do. Sure, you got to make sure they're not biting off more of our flavor. Right. Yeah, it's more of a, I partly enjoy it for news, and I'm partly keeping an eye out. So, anyway, so (laughs) I'm listening to NPR, and... um, NPR, for the most part, there's a couple weird exceptions, uh, is full of people that have, like, you know, voices for radio. Like, that's their thing, right? They have these sort of, you know, very trained, uh, modulated voices that sound good on the radio. But they also usually have scripts. 
but right now it's the uh, it's the pledge drive, you know, like public TV and NPR and stuff. They do these pledge drives like a couple times a year, and they just like come and beg for money, right? Yes, and dude, those public radio people—they are good at talking. They are not good at just like <laughs> vamping for a while. They are—they are, they are comically bad at it, especially and when you they're can trying tell. to describe the gifts that they're giving out. They're like, like "Well, he- we have here like." Like, listening to them trying to describe, like, a hoodie with an NPR logo on it is amazing. Yeah, uh, and the best part, for me at least, is that you can 100% tell the instant that they go off script. Like, everything is cool, and everything is, like, you know, it's very smooth and fine, and then the script ends, and they just have to start saying stuff, and they have no idea what to do. Like, one guy, he's, like, he's like trying to tell jokes. Like, he told a joke, and then he, like, explained the joke, and then he apologized <laughs> that the joke wasn't very good. And then someone, was like, someone else was like, no, 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 I thought it was a pretty good joke. Like, we're talking, this is not, like, an extended joke, guys. This is, like, a three-second, like, throwaway comment that they spent the next 35 seconds, like, alternately explaining, apologizing, or being comforting about um, See, and it's the same thing about the pledge drive to me is that the pledge drive is the one year that they really need people to like tune in and care about public radio and really value what they're bringing like to the airwaves and it is also without fail the two weeks of that programming that is the worst <laughs> yeah like, it's, here's what it's we're gonna awful. do for two weeks we're gonna replace everything that you like about public radio with everything you hate about any kind of radio <laughs> What they re- okay, here's what they should do. For the two weeks of the pledge drive, Tony Ganser, I know you're listening because you stole stuff from our show. So if you're listening, uh, listen, just give everybody that normally works at NPR like two weeks off. Like everybody take a vacation. Just bring in some like local comedians and just tell them to like goof on air for two weeks and ask people for money. Guaranteed you will make yeah, dude, more money. Because like this is we're also getting into the time of year that is the um there's a podcast network called the Maximum Fun Network, and they yeah. also do like an annual pledge drive. And those dudes always make their goal, right? Yeah, because like, the thing that they do follow it, but. is like when it's Max Fun Pledge Week. They bring in, like, they pull out all the big guns. Like, they bring in as many great guests as they can. They put out a bunch of special episodes that people want to listen to. And they just provide a more and a better version of the thing that they're already giving you to remind you, like, hey, we do a thing that you like. You should support us. Which is the exact opposite of how public radio does it. <laughs> yeah, man. NPR. Uh, it's 2016, you guys. You gotta, you gotta up your game. <laughs> there's, there's only so many times you can tell us about the flocked gray hooded sweatshirt emblazoned with the NPR logo. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, it's got, it's got elastic wristbands, and so the, the wind can't so get really? in very easily. And when you're wearing this in the line at, at the bank or at Starbucks, people are going to see that sweatshirt, Dave. And they're going to know gonna that know. you you value public radio, and you were willing to give money to support it. And they're going to appreciate that, Dave. And they're going to appreciate you. And it's going to put a smile on their face and your face if you just come in at the dollar a day level. Matt, you are already better at that than anyone I have ever heard on NPR. All right, man. What is our uh, what's our fourth star of the week? Our fourth star of the week is uh, a podcast I've been listening to. No way. And it's I I don't think that I've brought it up on the show before. Although. Listen, guys, this is like episode 78 or something. It's possible I've brought this There's one up before. There's a lot of episodes. We may have. There's some stuff. We <laughs> Sometimes we go to talk about something. We're like, have we talked about this before? I don't remember. So if anybody out there wants to make a list of all the things we've talked about so we don't cover old ground, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, so anyways, Matt, this podcast. Yes. Uh, it is called Unjustly Maligned. All right. It is hosted by a guy named Anthony Johnston, um, who is apparently like an author and a comic book writer. I cool. only know him from this podcast. I've never read any of his comic books, and I'm not really sure what he's done. Mm. Uh, he's British, and so I think he's done, like, British stuff that I don't know, and, like, a Wolverine comic. But he is great. Uh, and this podcast is wonderful, because the premise of it is that they get people on the show to defend the things that are sort of universally despised, but that the person defending it 
thinks is much better than it's given credit for. Okay. And so it's just fun to listen to people like really get into talking about how much like you know how Revenge of the Sith is a much better movie than people think it is. Okay. How, like Indiana Jones right, and right. the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull has a lot of really good parts. Okay, now I'm on board. I was trying to figure out if this was like someone offering a dispense of like mosquitoes or like no, 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 you know, no. like just something that everyone loathes. Okay, this yeah, is no. stuff that like culturally everyone's like, yeah, that's a big pile of garbage. But like, there's one dude out there that like really loves Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it it is a sort of podcast for the vocal minority to support a thing that culture has decided is bad. Okay. And it's really yeah, I'm fun. real into that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Because the thing is, like, someone who cares enough about a thing to go on a podcast to defend it, like, you know, like, if you care that much about defending Dragon Age 2, then, like, you probably really have thought about Dragon Age yeah, 2. Yeah, you've put a lot of... Uh, okay, I assume somebody got on there and talked about Dragon Age 2. Uh, yes, I'm just... I'm just scrolling through the episodes <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it was not a great game. Uh, dude, so speaking of things that people love, um, but a lot of people hate. So I went and saw a movie last night, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about it. I'll talk about it next week because it just came out yesterday. So give everybody a chance to see it. I do recommend that you see it, though. It was a lot of fun. And it is not a horror movie. I don't like horror movies. But the friends that we went to saw it, see it with, to saw it with, to see it with, were like, oh, no, 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 no. It looks that way, but it isn't. I was like, all right, cool. So it is. 10 Cloverfield Lane was great. But before we saw that, there was a preview for Star Trek, the new Star Trek movie, just Star Trek Beyond. Oh, I, you know, I knew that was coming out. I did not know it was coming out soon enough that there were trailers for it. Well, you know, I don't know exactly when it's coming out, but they sometimes throw out trailers for these big movies like months and months and months in advance. Uh, but there is, we did see a trailer for it. And <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure what it was like just at first, because what you hear before anything starts is sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Okay. And the entire trailer is set to the tune of sabot is set to sabotage. Uh, and it is just like it's sabotage, and there's like guns and explosions, and like people are like running around and jumping and shooting. Uh, and I could just feel the incan like the white hot incandescent rage of Trekkies, like the world over, seeing this trailer. Because yeah, I dude, don't. That okay, is, listen. I mean, listen. I I like Star Trek. Okay, I've never been a huge Star Trek guy, but that seems anathema to the spirit of Star Trek. Yeah, very much so. Like, okay, listen. I'm not a Trekkie. Like, I know that people dig it. Um, I just, I find Star Trek like kind of interminably boring. Um, <laughs> so like any at any time I see something that I look at that's Star Trek and I'm like, yeah, that seems cool and fun. I all I ever hear about it from all I ever hear is that Trekkies are like, this is awful. It's terrible. Like this is. Off, you know, so uh, I could feel the hate emanating from the world over about this trailer. <clears throat> so, uh, unjustly maligned sounds like a real fun podcast. Yeah, it is. It is a really fun podcast. And if you want someone to defend Star Trek to you, uh, at least one of these episodes is all about a Star Trek. Uh, there's one where they're talking about how good Voyager is. I thought people dug Voyager. Did I dug like Voyager? Voyager? I was going to say Voyager is like one of the only shows that I watched and kind of enjoyed. Uh, okay, so Matt, what is our fifth star of the week? Fifth star of the week is, so this is today, you are currently listening to episode 27 of The Jetman with the Golden Gun, which means that we are officially past the halfway point of season two of the Super Sentai Brothers. Now, that means that I am looking ahead to season three. Mm-hmm. We've already decided on the show we're going to watch. It's going to be yep. Kaku Ranger because the DVDs are coming out, and that's going to make my life so much easier. Way easier. Um, but I've been trying to think about how to approach season three in a way that'll kind of like be a little fresh. Because at this point, like when the show started, when our show started, the premise uh-huh. was that I had seen a bunch of Super Sentai and you had seen none. And so I was kind of introducing it to you and we were going through it together that way. Yes. But the thing is, like, by the end of season two, you will have watched two full seasons of Super Sentai. And, I feel like, like I'm pretty deep in at Listen, this like, you, ha- you will have, like, another 40 years to get through to, like, really catch up. But at this point, like, you get it. 
you know? And so I'm trying to think of a way to kind of rework things a little. Nothing major. You know, like the show is not going to like drastically change format or anything weird like that. I'm just trying to think of a way to give it a twist that uh, can kind of refresh the format a little bit. And I had some ideas and I wanted to talk about them with you on the air. Uh, so that we can sort of get through this. And if any of the listeners have any suggestions, they can sort of let me know one way or the other. I would love that. So what's up? What are you thinking? Okay. So I am thinking that instead of me watching the whole season ahead of time and then sort of guiding you through it, I have mm-hmm. only ever seen the first like two episodes of Cocker Ranger. Okay. So I... I'm thinking that if I just don't watch it first and we're both coming at it fresh, I think that could be a lot of fun. That, yeah, that sounds really good because I feel like at this point, again, like I'm fairly, not okay, I wouldn't say deep in, but like I get it in a way that I definitely did not get it before. Right, you're deep enough in that I don't have to like be explaining basic parts of like how the series operates. Right, yeah, exactly. And so we can kind of both attack it together, which I, which for me at least will be a lot more fun um, because it'll give me like sort of fresh eyes on something. Uh, and also it will take a lot less time out of my day because I don't have to watch a full <laughs> season of television that is 50 episodes twice. Yeah. No. Okay. So let's plan on doing that. So you and I will just watch it together. First time out. That'll be great. Um, and here is another thought that I had sort of related to this because we wouldn't be able to do this this second idea if I had already watched it. Okay. I was listening to a podcast the other day, which I know shocks you. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you're blowing my mind. Uh, the podcast is called Rose Buddies. It is a podcast about uh, The Bachelor with uh, Griffin McElroy and his wife, Rachel. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I don't watch The Bachelor. I just listened to this podcast about two people watching The Bachelor. I feel like that's probably the best way to interact with The Bachelor. Um, but the thing is that apparently when they watch The Bachelor... They have like sort of like a fantasy baseball league, but it's like a fantasy bachelor league, which is not the first time I've ever heard of people doing this. Okay. So like they on the first night of the show, they draft the different characters, like the different people on it. All right. Like, on to their teams, and then there are rules throughout the season that, you know, if your person does X, you get this number of points or this many like negative points. Oh, okay. So right? you are sort of tracking through. So you're, I gotcha. Yeah, like you have your team of people, and as they take action throughout the season, your like team gets a certain number of points. And I think it would be a hoot if we did that with Kaku Ranger. Listen, that sounds like a blast. It also sounds like it might be a lot of like it might be uh, an absurd of work. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? On top of like doing taking notes for the show itself. You know what I mean? Uh what do you think about uh listen, I have become the shine has worn off of high points and low points for me because I don't like having to find a low point all the time. I really like Super Sentai. That's so that's fair. Yeah. So I think we should, we got to find something else to fill that space, man. We got to, maybe just like a final thoughts. Yeah, why don't, why don't instead of doing high points and low points, why don't, when we hit season three, uh, why don't we switch that out for just a final thoughts section? Because that yeah, will, it'll give us that. a chance to talk about the episode at the end of it, but we're not going to have to like really like drill down to try to decide whether or not we liked, you know, some yeah, man. Like, forget point, it. just so we could like check the box of a low point, right? So, uh, yeah. So, hey, guys, if you listening have any ideas, stuff that you would like to hear, things that you think would be fun or funny or whatever, uh, news that you need about Super Sentai, if you want to hear about a fantasy <laughs> Sentai draft, uh, let us if know, you have man. Any ideas let us know for what on earth to do for a fantasy Sentai draft. Yeah, man, that's, uh, I feel like that's going to require a lot of brain space. Like, I'm going to have to, we'd have to think about that one. Okay, these are all things to think about. We (laughs) have, like, six months before any of them happen, which is why I wanted to bring them up now, just so they're sort of like, just to put them in your brain, Dave. But now, instead of thinking ahead to season three, it's season two, episode 27, The Great Escape from Hell, Let's Do It. Okay, welcome back. So, we have just finished watching episode 27, A Great Escape from Hell. I'm sorry, The Great Escape from Hell. 
Uh, and Dave, normally at this point in the episode, I would ask you to give us a quick rundown of what we're about to experience. But I Dude. think this week, let's just get into it. Uh, yeah, man. That certainly that certainly was an episode. So we, Boy, we, start, we start off, and Akko is just wandering down a, a street by herself. Like, in, It's not like in the city. It's sort of like a, a path through the park. Um, yeah. It is dark. There is fog. And Akko says that she has a bad feeling. Yeah. Uh, there's a quick flash of her being attacked by what seems to be Diamond Dimension from like 10 or 12 episodes ago. And then she just collapses. Yeah. Uh, oh, Dave, did you miss the ghost hearse that drives by? Oh, that's right. This is... The, okay, sorry. I did... I forgot to write it down. I did notice it, though. Yeah, there's totally a ghost hearse that just rolls by. And then I think the diamond thing follows that, and then she falls down. Yes. That's it. Um, and so there's an alert that goes off on her crosschanger. The rest of the uh, jetmen go to find her. Yeah, by the time the they street. find her, it's brighter out, uh, you know, like the fog has cleared, it looks like Akko is just straight up passed out, Ryu, Ryu runs over, tries to wake her up, slaps, slaps her a little bit. for a while to try to wake her up. Yeah, which is, is that like a, okay, listen, I've never had to wake somebody up out of a faint, but does that actually, is that like the recommended, just slap them in the face until they know, wake up? But I wouldn't have even thought about it, except that he kept doing it. <laughs> Yeah, this is not like a, and he's not like gently patting her on the face, like he is, like he's slapping around a little bit. Uh, and then he just turns to the rest of the ranger jetmen and says, "Akko died," <laughs> and she, then she's dead. Episode, right? Dang, jetman, uh, jetman is raw. Apparently, and like you so know, we, we cut to Skycam, and they're sitting around Akko's like a corpse. Like, looking at it, and they're all in sort of varying states of freaking out. Some of them are crying, some of them are swearing vengeance. And I forget who it was. It might have been uh, uh, Raita said, like, she wasn't sick, and there's no sign of injury. How did she die? Yeah. Um, again, like, I for real, like, I did not assume that Akka was going to be dead. Uh, but she's totally dead. Also, there is a uh, there is a video that is playing on the monitors behind them at Sky Camp of Akko's final moments, but just before she is attacked by Diamond Dimension. It's just her turning around and saying, what? I've got a bad feeling. And then it loops, which is sort of horrifying. Like, it's just looping her last moments before she dies. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not like a super cool like video to be playing, Chief. Yeah. Uh, but somebody so says... So what the Chief says... That, um... Like, what's weird is that she looks like a body without a soul. And I don't know how you can tell that, but that's what somebody says. And also, uh, yeah, dude, she's dead. It is a body without a soul. She's dead. Uh, but what the chief says is that, she says this to herself. She says, maybe this time the, en- the enemy is in a different life form. Which, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. So we cut away from Sky Camp, and we just see the chief walking up to uh, some sort of temple. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but like it has all the markers of a temple. You know what I mean? Yeah, I looked this up in the Wikipedia article about this episode, and it said that oh, it is okay. a Buddhist slash Shinto temple. So okay, right on. Yeah, okay. So she goes to find, uh, you know, like someone who is uh, culturally empowered to make like religious decisions, I guess. And then we cut away from there, right? And, and we, we go, go to the Viram dimension. The Viram dimension, where yeah, Radigat is like floating horizontally, like looking like with his face. Like up. he's, it's like he's lying down, and they just float, bobbing up and down in the air. And he's making like hand gestures, and he's chanting very quickly and in a loop. And the other. Like, Viram commanders are just kind of looking at him like, what is Radigat doing? Yeah, I am, okay. Like, there may be greater significance to these hand gestures, but what it looks like to me is that he's doing, like, ninja hand seals, like, from, like, Naruto style, which I don't think, Matt, you've ever watched, but it's actually kind of a fun show. Uh, But he's doing, like, he's clearly doing some sort of, like, uh, like energy thing with his hands. He's not just like pointing around. Right. There is some sort of like method to what it is that he is doing. Yes, that's a much better way to say it. And like he has, it is a pattern that he's doing. I would recognize that as something more significant, but I am not, so I don't. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so we leave there, and we just see Guy driving around the park, and, like, this is... <laughs> I love this, because this is how Guy hunts Viram. He just gets on his motorcycle and drives <laughs> around. It's just like, where are you jerks? And, then, like, that's it. Yeah, he just drives around, and I guess it's lucky <laughs> that most of the Viram monsters are either on or near the street. Yeah, because Although, I mean, otherwise... Dirt, but you can go a little off-road with it. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you would have uh, no luck finding any of them because that is basically the only place that he goes. So he's driving around, and as he is driving, he is attacked by the ghost hearse, which kind of like appears behind him, but like yeah. driving the opposite direction. So it's as though he's just like driven through it, and then it becomes like visible as he gets to the other side of it. The back door uh-huh. of it opens up, and a big like ropey tentacle thing flies out, grabs him, and drags him into the hearse. Yeah, uh, and then it like it drives around for just a second, and then it kind of chucks him out the back, and then Guy is also dead. Yes. Now, this time, unlike the episode titled this, this time Guy dies. <laughs> right. Uh, so, it's that, and then we see the hearse again. Oh, sorry. The Jetmen find him. And they're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Very appropriately so, because he's dead, as is. Uh, so Akko and Guy are now dead. Uh, the, we see the hearse again, and we see noodles shoot out the back of it. So I, now we realize what is happening is that we are getting kind of a greatest hits of the Viram dimensional beasts uh, attacking the Jetmen from beyond the grave, I guess? Yeah, and like we haven't really mentioned it, but... The appearance and disappearance of this ghost hearse is sort of effectively creepy. Like, some things in this show are meant to be creepy and don't quite pull it off. Like, I find the ghost hearse to be, like, a pretty significant, like, creep factor. Really? Because, like, it doesn't say anything. It's just a car that shows up and all of a sudden you are dead. Oh, yeah. You know, I, like, I dig it. I think it looks cool, but I did not get, like, weirded out by it. Um... Okay, so Raita gets hit by God Noodle. He gets pulled into the hearse, uh, and then he also gets pulled out, like kind of tossed out the back, and then he is also dead. And then a phantom Radigat appears by the hearse. Like, Ryu sees all this happen, sorry. And then a phantom Radigat appears by the hearse. Ryu attacks the phantom Radigat. Obviously, nothing works. Um, and Radigat just says, My new monster can control the realm of the dead. Yes, and he's very clear about the fact that his new monster is way better than the biodimensional beasts. Because I think he's still a <laughs> right. little salty about last week when, like, they would not let him use one. <laughs> right. Or two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how this is... Yeah, okay, yeah. So his new monster can control the realm of the dead. I'm going to have questions about this at the end of the episode. Dude, uh, okay. So he... Pulls Ryu into the hearse, but only like halfway. Yeah, his legs are still and, dangling out the trunk. And so what we find out is that the the opening in the back of the hearse is actually a portal to the underworld. And Radigat like points out and he says, see, the souls of your friends are being tormented. Uh, it is not the souls of his friends. It's just some people in weird costumes. There's like a weird, like, and these are bad costumes, guys. There's like a really janky uh, skeleton costume. There's a kappa costume, which is like a Japanese turtle monster. And then we see other dimensional beasts. Although, Dave, I gotta say that I kind of like that there are these weird, like, sort of bad, janky costumes. <laughs> because if they were good, like, if those were good-looking costumes, then it would just like a, look like a regular old Hell Dimension. But since it's not, since they're, like, these weird, like, kind of bad, you can see all the seams costumes, it makes it look even, like, weirder and creepier, like this awful store-brand Hell. Like, it's very <laughs> off-putting in a way that I don't know if it was on purpose, but it works. But the fact the fact that they're low-grade costumes somehow is awful. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, for you as seeing all of this, uh, and obviously, like, he's very weirded out by this. So, the chief that we flash outside, the chief pulls up, and she has gotten a monk. And so, she and the monk get out of the car. The monk, like, jumps forward and stabs his, like, 
monk staff into the back of the hearse and manages to like smack, I think it's real Radigat, is inside the hearse, which disperses Phantom Radigat outside the hearse. And then he manages to pull Ryu out and like the hearse disappears or drives away or something. Yeah. So he he saves Ryu. Yeah. So he manages to save Ryu. So now it's just Ryu and Kaori are the only ones left. Guy, uh, Raita, and Akko are all in the Hell Dimension. So we flash from the park where we were over to the monastery, and we've got the monk and chief and Ryu and Kaori, and then the three bodies are kind of laid out in front of them. And so the monk is saying, listen, here's the deal. Like their souls are still kind of like tenuously connected to their bodies. And if they can find a way to like take the path back to their bodies sometime in the next hour, then they will (laughs) be saved. I love, (laughs) I I just love the time frame limit. Yes. Because it's always, it's always an hour. Like how long was it's an hour. That's how long you'll have. Because that's Which also like how long it took for of. the uh, shadow dimension creatures to like suck the life force out of the Jetman. Right. Okay, so what we get is that the, the monk says the dimensional beasts are getting their revenge on, on these three. All right? Uh, and then like at some point, Kauri says, like, I'll go. And then someone's like, no, it's too dangerous for you or something like that. And then we end the scene with Ryu saying, like, I will go. Like, I'll do this thing. Now, we Which do is, see here, at some point in this scene, a cutaway to hell where Guy, Raita, and Akko oh, are all right. tied up. And they're being, like, menaced by uh, its noodle dimension, um, faucet dimension, uh, whatever that diamond gem dimension was, and um, oh, what was the paper fourth one? Oh, origami. the paper origami dimension. Yeah, and they're like okay. wandering around them, menacing them with torches. Like we will, we will make you suffer for killing us. Is what they're saying. Which yeah. again, I have real questions as to what the biodimensional beasts are. Okay, so this is the only. I am very curious as to whether because let me be clear: when Ranigan says my new monster can control the underworld, we never see a monster aside from the ghost hearse. Right. So, is the ghost hearse the monster? Okay, here's what I'm thinking. I think the ghost hearse is in fact the monster. However, when it says I can control the underworld, I. I don't think that it's like a real underworld. I think that the ghost hearse has create has like an internal like hell dimension like inside of it, and that's why it has to keep pulling the the jetman into it because it's not actually the real underworld. Does that make sense? Yeah, sort of how like when Daigo had to escape from the hell dimension inside. Um, oh, what was that guy's name? The fire dude in yeah the yeah I forget like, what his name it is was. A hell, but it wasn't the hell. Well, okay, I think uh, I'm okay. I'm actually pretty confident on this one that um, I th- I know Chinese. I'm not sure about Japanese, but they have a lot more conceptual headspace for like multiple hells than like Western thinking does, right? Yeah, like I know Western that's thinking, the case like there's like a hell. Yeah. So maybe we can just assume that that's the case, man. I don't want to get too deep into yeah, it. Yeah, I don't want to make any broad honest. statements about things that I know about exclusively from cartoon shows. But <laughs> right, yeah, let's not let's not dive into that one too too deep. Uh, okay, so we flash back to the Viram dimension, and Radigat is still doing his like lying on his back, bumping up and down, floating. We flash over to the monastery. The monk is chanting in like a super intense way. Uh, this dude oh, is spitting hot fire. He, yeah, he's chanting. A lot. It's and he's yeah. also doing hand sig- uh, hand gestures, and it keeps sort of cutting back and forth between the monk and Radigat doing it, and like there's a lightning right. flashing with Radigat, and there's all these fire blazing up when the monk is doing it. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. Uh, so Ryu is also meditating, and he's like meditating super hard. 
Uh, like you can tell that he's like really intensely concentrating. And then we see Ryu and then he starts floating. Okay, so now yes. Ryu is bobbing up and down. Radigan is bobbing up and down. Like the chief is super intense. So like we're not sure if Ryu is going to be able to do this. The chief and Kaori have like prayer beads. They're praying. The monk like shoots, he like shoves his hand out and like the fire that's in front of him like goes everywhere because he's like launching chi at it or something. We flash to Ryu. Ryu opens his eyes and we see like fire, like literal fire uh, reflected in his eyes. He's super intense. And then his spirit gets out of his body and and floats away, I guess. Dude, I, I cannot stress this enough. This episode is great. Like, there is just a <laughs> lot of really cool stuff in this episode. Very weird uh, stuff. The stuff that you don't yeah, really expect to get out of this episode. show. But, like, this is one of the episodes that, like, really stuck in my memory from the first time I watched this series through. Okay, so we see Ryu, and he gets up, and he's in a very sort of bucolic, like, chilled-out forest scene, right? And at first, okay, so at first I thought that the other uh, Jetmen were in hell because they had been, like, dragged there because of the monster, but uh-huh. that since Ryu was just, like, doing this of his own accord, he ended up in heaven, and was not going to be able to get to them because Ryu's such a good dude. Uh, but that oh. turns out not to be the case. And so he he is there's a there's a river, and then there's like an old woman at the river, and she tells him to swim across. And he's sort of confused by this. And then and she th- throws a stick at him, which makes him like fly into the river. And he's, like, barely struggling to keep his head above water, which doesn't seem... Or no, he's struggling to barely keep his head above water. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, like, he's having trouble. He's not barely struggling. He's struggling to barely... Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the old woman says, like, oh, this is the desert river. The, like, the, the greater your resolve, the deeper the water? I don't know what that was supposed to mean, except that he starts to sink... And Dude, I have no idea. And at this I point, like, like at this point, now that he's in this hell dimension, like it's going to be kind of difficult to explain what is happening because it all gets kind of weird. Well, yeah, okay. So what we do get the idea of is that this hell dimension is sort of uh, it's sort of dreamlike, maybe because yeah. he's kind of rapidly shifting from scene to scene without a whole lot of interstitial stuff. And so we get the impression that this is happening in sort of like a weird, fuzzy, fluid kind of place, like at least for Ryu. Uh, We do flash. Also, I think we're at a real disadvantage here, Matt, because you and I know like kind of nothing about Japanese mythology slash like underworld afterlife stuff. That is correct. And I, yeah, and I feel like if we were more familiar with it, uh, this this episode would make a lot of sense because there's clearly like there's a, the old woman has a very distinct appearance and I get the feeling that she's obviously supposed to be like a specific person but I don't know who that is right so so whatever um so we see we flash away real quickly back to the real world and we see Kauri in like a white robe and she is standing underneath a waterfall praying. Praying super hard. Super hard. Uh, oh, so this is the thing about this waterfall, Matt, that I wanted to tell you about, because I have seen this on uh, like travel shows, right? Okay. What these waterfalls are is that it's it's like a ritual purification thing, which is very cool, right? Uh, but <laughs> these waterfalls are not like pleasant, like chilling out waterfalls. These waterfalls are <laughs> fueled entirely by snow runoff from the mountains. Okay. And... And they are liquid only because they're moving so quickly. Like these waterfalls <laughs> are like freezing, freezing cold. Uh, and so Kauri is just like super manning up and and praying out of this waterfall. Um, so we flash back to the underworld and we see Ryu, and he is like dodging traps. It is, he's on like, a, like he's in like a dungeon crawl. Indiana Jones territory. Like, there is a giant rolling boulder that he has to dodge. Yeah, uh, there's also, like, a big spiky wall, and he goes to, like, do something. And I don't know exactly what it is that he does, but the monk, 
somehow, by the way, is seeing everything that Ryu is, ha- is doing. Like, he can see, he has like a telecam on Ryu. Right. And Ryu can hear him, I guess, in the underworld. And what he says is, you cannot use your powers here. The monk says this. He's like, you can't use your powers here. You don't have, like, your Jetman advantage. This is a fight for true warriors. Right. Like, basically, you can't cheat by using your superpowers. You only have, like, your inner strength. Yeah. And so Ryu is running along, and he sees, like, a little kid who's crying, which Ryu, this is obviously a trap. Uh, but maybe that's what makes Ryu Ryu. Like, he knows somehow that it's a trap, but he still can't let a little kid be crying. So plus, he goes know, he over. Is, he, and honestly, like, he doesn't know it's a trap because he knows that his friend's souls have been dragged in here. But, you know. Uh, that's what a good it, point. Like, there's a pretty good chance that that ghost hers has been, like, capturing other people. Okay. I, I don't I think that it actually think has. That. But, true. you know, true. Ryu could have generally assumed that. So he sees this little girl. And he's like, okay, like, come over here and get on my back and I'll carry you out of here. So the little girl climbs on his back and then immediately becomes a monster made out of stone and just like drags yeah. him down to the ground. Yep. Uh, and then he gets chased. Like he manages to get himself free. And then he's being chased by all the weird monsters in terrible costumes that we mentioned before. And then he just yells. He's like surrounded kind of. And he yells, I've had enough. Let me out. Which, Okay. Uh, we flash down to hell again, and it's the three other Jetmen, and they're being tormented. They're, like, on this narrow, like, log, basically, that is suspended above this red steaming river. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, blood or lava or what. I can't tell either, because Cup Noodle Dimension says, like, I will boil you in hot water, because he's a Cup Noodle man. Uh, He says that, and then he, like, he ladles some of this red water out. And it holds it towards the Jetman. And then the water catches on fire. So I don't know if it was meant to be like fire or water or boiling water or lava. But whatever it is, they do not want any part of that. Right. Uh, okay. So we go back to Ryu. And Ryu has ended up in a field full of flowers. And there's three sort of like pretty ladies. And they're all in white dresses. And they're like, Ryu, you've done enough. Like, just chill out. Just take a rest. Yeah, like your work here Just is relax. done. You you really you, put in good. some good effort. Like, you don't need to do the rest of this stuff. And Ryu, for a moment, seems as though he agrees with them. Like, yeah, this is very difficult. I would like to not be doing this anymore. But the monk somehow sees this and, and tells him, like, watch out. Like, you got to be careful. And then Ryu says, no, I'll save my friends. And then the lead pretty lady just turns out to be Radigat. And the other two turn out to be, like, creepy monsters in terrible costumes. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is not the first time that Radigat has changed himself into a lady and flirted with Ryu. Like, I don't, I wouldn't swear on that, but I'm pretty sure that this is something like this has happened at least one other time. You know, it's hard to say uh, because I I know that like this kind of thing has happened. Like it happened in Die Ranger, definitely with Akamaru pretending to be a little girl. That okay? That's probably what I'm thinking of. Uh, which was, but even so, which was weird. Not really because he turned himself into a girl to flirt with Ko, but because Ko turned out to be his twin brother. So that was a weird moment in Die Ranger. Yeah, that was that was a weird one. Uh, so okay, now Ryu <laughs> is like running away from Radigat, uh, and, and Radigat uh, sort of gets him to the point where like Ryu is like hanging on to the edge of a cliff and about to fall off. Oh, just before that though, man. Just before that, uh, he goes to cross change, and it oh, doesn't work. Right. Like he, yeah, he cannot cross change in the underworld. Presumably for the same reason that he cannot, like, he doesn't have his Jetman superpowers. Also, the cross changer doesn't work. It's following that that Radigat manages to kind of hound him to this cliff edge. He's attacking. Ryu is slipping. Attack, slip, attack, slip. Ryu is about to lose it. The monk chimes in now and he says, like, you need to believe in the power of yourself or something like that. Uh, the time has come to believe in your heart. Your determination can cause a miracle. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. So, he, so Ryu, rather than waiting to finish slipping off the cliff, just lets go. He just drops. 
Uh, and we see him, like, you know, the camera pans way back, and we see a figure falling down, the, like, a long way down this cliff into, like, yeah. the mists below. And However, oh, man. However, this is so great. Uh, he falls into the mists below. There's a flash of red light, and then, like, a giant phoenix made of fire shoots up out of the mist. And then uh, we see Ryu land next to his three friends. Right. So, like, not only did the power of his, like, believing in his heart to cause a miracle let him cross-change, but he did it by exploding into what is essentially, like, uh, like the Jet Hawken final attack. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's exactly what it is. So, uh, he leans over, not, like, leans over, but he turns over to the other Jetman. He's like, okay, great. You guys are cool. He says, use the power of faith... To transform. Just believe. Believe And then he starts fighting the monsters. Yeah, and so he starts to solo the four-man team of monsters. Uh, And he is holding up fairly well. But, like, you can tell that, like, he is holding them off for now, but he is not going to be able to beat them all by himself. And so the other three, we've got Guy, Raita, and Akko, like, kneel down and hold up their cross-changers in front of them and start concentrating. Yes. Uh, and they are like, they are doing what uh, I would describe as LARP concentrating. Yes, they are actively believing. Yeah, <laughs> this is not like a calm, like, all right, we just got to like center ourselves. This is like shaky, sweaty, like, oh, like muscle believing, I guess. Right. If you could somehow flex your entire body to believe in something more, that is what they are doing. Yes, uh, and it works. They t- it totally works. They 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 managed to cross change, uh, so they cross change. They set up their bird blasters. They shoot the monsters, and then uh, two of the monsters go down. But Diamond Dimension and God Noodle survive somehow, and I guess they're giant now. No, dude, and they then... all go giant. Oh, do they? Okay, they all go giant. My bad. So they all and go then giant. somehow... <laughs> yes. And again, I guess this is through the power of believing in their hearts to create a miracle. They I believe can't. so hard that they summon Jet Icarus and Jet Garuda to hell. To help them fight these giant monsters. So now it's uh, it's two of them. It's Ryu and Akko in Jet Garuda. And it's Guy and Raita in Jet Icarus. And these dudes, uh, they make pretty short witch work. They make pretty short work okay. of the uh, the four monsters. And uh, well, no, they make pretty short work of two of the monsters. Uh, they take out, um, I think it's faucet dimension and uh, paper dimension. Maybe it's diamond dimension. Um, no, yeah, and they it's go pa- down. No, it's paper dimension. Then Radigat says, "Like, okay." Like, now you will, I guess, feel the anger of these dead spirits. The two giant monsters that remain, which are Cup Noodle Monster and either Diamond or Paper. I honestly don't remember. It's, it it's diamond. doesn't matter. It's Diamond? It, yeah, it's completely irrelevant. Okay. They, like, become energy and zap themselves into Jet Icarus. Which knocks Guy and Raita unconscious, and now Jet Icarus is being possessed by the spirits of these two giant monsters. As so, now we've got two giant robots, one of which is possessed, fighting in hell. If that uh, is it, the coolest thing you've heard all day. I'm not sure what to tell you I, because well, I, I, that was it's amazing. Yeah, if that is not the coolest thing you've heard all day. Then you are having a spectacular day. <laughs> Uh, okay, so while they're okay, so this is happening, and Jet Icarus is actually getting the better of Jet Garuda. We flash, and Jet Garuda actually goes down. Jet Icarus like stomps over, is about to uh, hit it with the Bradonic saber. We flash to Kauri. Kauri like pr- is praying super duper hard, y'all. Uh, and then she just yells like Ryu. Ryu somehow hears her. Yeah, she prays so hard that Ryu in hell hears her, wakes up out of his unconscious stupor, and dodges the Bradonic saber. Yes, and then the monk shoots an exorcism beam from where he is in the monastery into the underworld manages to like 
tele-exercise Jet Icarus. They perform the Great Scramble, and then the Bird Mazer destroys the remaining monsters. Uh, when the remaining monsters explode, we flash to the Virum dimension, and Radigat goes flying. And, you know, victory for our heroes. And that's basically the episode. Um, we cut back to the monastery where the now alive Jetmen are, like, running out into the open air because they're so excited to be alive and be breathing the fresh air again. Um, they, like, play leapfrog in a field? They do. There is something that happens just before that, though. Uh, The monk tells the chief, he says, listen, whoever did that attack on you must have been very wounded in the spirit world when they lost, so they won't be able to do that again. And then he turns to the chief, and he says, you've raised good kids. And then the chief, like, nods, smiling. The chief is mother. Right? It's like, these are all adult... Well, okay, Akko isn't quite... But, like, these are all grown-ups. Like, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so she's raised good kids, apparently. And then, yeah, then they, like, they Rochambeau for something. And then they play Leapfrog. And then they dogpile Raita. And that's the episode. Yes. So, Dave, what was the high point of the episode for you? Dude... Uh, all right uh the whole episode was amazing just yeah, i'm just gonna say one. that the if whole episode you, was fantastic watch the show sometimes but not all the time definitely check this one out yeah this is one to pick up uh i am gonna say my high point is the exorcism blast that like the monk, like it's not he's not like praying he is praying but it's not like he's like praying and it manages to work this monk like straight up shoots like a bolt of green energy out of his staff and that is what does the exorcism it's incredible right, he just zaps his priest laser at a giant robot in hell and two <laughs> giant monsters come out of it it's the best how about you, man? High point of this episode? Oh, man. Um, honestly, there, there could be any number of things. Um, I am going to go with the... I'm going to go with the creep factor. Between the ghost hearse and, like, the bad costumes making the hell dimension seem, like, even creepier. Like, this mm. episode pulled off a fairly high level of weirdness that I was not expecting when I saw it. Yeah, it was a, yeah, okay, I can dig that. Yeah, it's a weird, creepy episode. So, what about Low Point? Man, I got nothing on this. This episode, like, I don't have a low point for this one. This is a great episode. Okay. Here's my low point. Okay. It's not really <laughs> okay. a low point, but it's, this is the sort of structure of the show that we have, so I have to put something in here. Um, so, early in the episode, Radigat says... Like, I, I have created a new kind of monster that can control the underworld, right? Mm-hmm. And then, we're not sure if the hearse itself is the monster, but we kind of think that it is. Right? Yeah, we're not totally sure, but... But at the end of the episode, what it seems like is that Radigat had been using his own, like, spirit energy to function this whole thing, and his spirit was damaged... By doing all this extra stuff, and so now he's never going to be able to do this kind of attack again. So, was there a new monster in this oh, episode, yeah. or was the hearse just like a weapon that Radigat made? Like, Dude, was yeah, the hearse actually, alive, or was Radigat driving it? I had totally forgot about because I did have a sort of similar question, and the I have no idea as to the answer. And also, I guess the dimensional beasts have souls because they're in hell. Uh, Sure seems that way. So our, Thanks for throwing that into my world. So our previous questions as to what the dimensional beasts are have now been resurfaced. Because I still don't know what their deal is. Yeah, uh, so thanks so much for that, Jetman. Yeah, so if you, That's something that I needed to have a question about. If you put a weird bug on a faucet, not only does it come to life and try to murder people, but it has a soul. Chojin Sentai Jetman, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I think that's it for us, man. Yeah, yeah. That, that is going to do it for another episode of The Jetman with a Golden Gun. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on a future episode or check out what we're talking about on Twitter, we're at Super Sentai Bros. If you like the show, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what's going to help new people find the show. If you have done that for us, thank you very much. If you have any ideas as to uh, how to best alter uh, the format a little bit to give us a tweak for Season 3 or any ideas for the Fantasy Draft, or if you even want to see that at all, um, let us know. That would be wonderful. Uh, the Super Sentai Brothers is a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we're the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>